0: Hey, good day everybody. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Good to gather with you again. Happy New Year to you. Well, we are in the book of Luke, so you can uh, go ahead and turn there. We're in Luke chapter 8. We've uh, gone through a portion of the chapter already, so we'll pick up where we left off. So if you would turn please in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Tonight we're going to start by looking at this story here where Jesus encounters a man that is demon-possessed. Actually, we're going to see three different people that are encountered by Jesus and certainly the periphery as well, those that are observing, those that are watching. Um, but we're going to see a man that is demon-possessed uh, and has been for quite a while. Uh, we're going to take some time and we're going to look at uh, a man whose daughter has, is dying. Um, and then we'll look at a woman who had an issue of blood for a period of 12 years. She was sick for 12 years. Uh, and she comes to Jesus. So we'll take some time, we'll consider each of them. Why don't we pray, and then we'll uh, head into the Word. Father, thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the fact that it is a sure foundation. Lord, we, uh, we appreciate more than I think we even understand, but Lord, we know that in the depths of our hearts that how much we appreciate that there is a sure foundation upon which we can build our lives and our faith. And so we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for the ability to gather and to come and to hear from you. Lord, we thank you for your Spirit, which brings your Word to life in our hearts, and we pray that your Spirit would teach us this evening, in Jesus' name, Amen. Why don't we start by reading the full story of this man with the demon, uh, starting in verse 26? It says, "Then they said to the, excuse me, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out in the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons." For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but he lived among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time the spirit had seized the man, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Now when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons they asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so Jesus got into the boat, and he returned. Now the man from whom the demons had gone begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own home, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So, we have this story here of a man that is possessed with a demon. The passage actually says that the man is possessed with many demons. When Jesus inquires of his name, uh, he says that his name is Legion. Now, Legion, if you read the parallel passages, it adds to that. It says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Um, So, it seems the demons are involved in answering the question as well. Legion, a Roman legion of that day, numbered as many as 6,000 men. So, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean 6,000 demons were inside of this guy. The idea is that many demons were inside of him. But here we have this passage in Luke. It's also found in Matthew chapter 8, and it's also found in Mark chapter 5. I believe Matthew 8 is the one, one of those two. The story is told that there were actually two men that were out there, and Jesus has an encounter with one of those two men. The other one is right alongside of him. That's not included in the story here in Luke. In in the Luke passage, one person is being focused on, and it is this man here that has these 6,000 demons, if you will, or these many demons. Now, let's go back and work through the passage. Verse 26 says, They sail to the country of the Gerasenes. Some of your versions will say the Gadarenes. It's the same place that we're referring to, which is opposite the Galilee. Now remember, the Galilee that we're talking of is the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake, more so than a sea, but it's a very large lake located in northern Israel, the northern region. As a matter of fact, that region of the entire country is called the Galilee region, and many of the cities and towns are around this fresh body water that we call the Sea of Galilee. Um, Jews, Jesus in particular, lived on the western side, basically from if you think of it as a clock, from about 1 o'clock down to 6 o'clock, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, they lived over there. So you've got to go backwards, 1, 12, 11, 10, and so on. Uh, Gentiles, at this time of Jesus' day, they lived on the opposite side, or on the eastern shore of the Galilee. So uh, it says that uh, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, on the other side. And when Jesus has stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Now, one point that I, I want to draw to your attention to, especially because it's been two or three weeks since we've even been in the story, and you may recall, or forget I should say, go back to verse 22 of chapter 8, and if you have headings in your Bibles, you'll notice there that it gives a heading, and it says, Jesus calms a storm. So, what had happened was the disciples had they'd been on one side of the Galilee, we'll call it the western side of the Galilee, doing all sorts of ministry. Jesus says to them, you know what, we need to get into our boat, we need to get out of here. So look at verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said, let's go across to the other side of the lake. They get in, they go through all sorts of difficulties and trouble. They think they're going to sink. Master, we're perishing, don't you care about us? And so on. Uh, Jesus calms the water. They get out of the water, first thing, they encounter this guy. You know, and sometimes that's what life is like. Sometimes that's what ministry is like, where you wonder, why did I even get into this thing in the first place? We should have never come over to this side. We have all that trouble in the ocean or the sea. We have all this trouble here on land now, this demon guy coming at us here. But Jesus is aware of all this? Would we all agree? Mm-hmm. None of this is catching him by surprise here. Okay, so one version of the Bible says we must needs go to the other side. I, I love that because I, never, I don't speak that way, but I would like to, that we must needs have some dinner, you know, or something. Uh, but we must needs go to the other side. Jesus had an appointment on the other side of the sea with this fella here. Okay? I'm sure the disciples are doubting whether that's true because they're, they're not enjoying this trip. Anyway, verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on the land, just imagine, just getting off of the boat, no time to think, no time to process, a fellow comes running to him, and it says that there he met a man from the city who had demons. Now we see in the scripture, demon activity. Uh, I think in our culture today, there might be a tendency to doubt that that sort of thing really happens. But the reality is demon activity does continue to happen to this day. The scripture says, Paul says, and the scripture is true, but Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and principalities and powers at work in the air. So the idea is there is a demon presence amongst us, just as there is an angel presence that is amongst us. Demons can possess people, we see it in the scripture. Demons can sort of harass people, or people use the term oppress people. Can a demon possess a Christian? We don't see it in the Scripture. And the Scripture teaches that a Christian has the Holy Spirit within him, and the Holy Spirit's not sharing space with a demon. But can a demon oppress or harass a person of faith? I believe they can. Uh, I don't think we see as much demon activity in the United States of America, but you go overseas and you go to other places, and you do see a presence and a prevalence of it there. Why is it in one place over the other? I'm sure people could discuss it. But in the scriptures there, we see it. Can it happen in the United States? Absolutely. Um, so it is certainly something we want to be people of prayer uh, and not just assume that it's all about our own activity and handiwork and strength and charisma. But there are spiritual forces at work. And so this particular fella, he had um, many demons, it says. Notice, for a long time he had worn no clothes And he had not lived in a house, but he lived among the tombs. He lived among the tombs. We also read here a little bit later that he had been, Mark 5 really emphasizes it, that he had been bound with chains, but that he broke the chains. So here is a guy that the community cannot figure out what to do with this guy. He's dangerous. He makes us uncomfortable. He's scary. All these sorts of things. They had bound him with chains to keep him in line or under control. It wasn't working because he could just break those chains. And eventually he was cast out, either by the, the community, they made it very clear they didn't want him, or by his own uh, volition there, but he was cast out to live among the tombs. Now, who are your neighbors when you live among the tombs? This is an easy question. Well, I wasn't thinking of rats, Mark. I was just thinking of dead people. Yeah, they, they had ba- basically, in a sense, you can sort of see... They had cast him off for dead. Our lives are much better when you're not with us. And so, as far as we're concerned, go die. Uh, And that's how some people deal with people that are difficult and a problem. And I want to kind of compare and contrast how Jesus deals with the man and how his society and his, uh, his neighbors and so on dealt with him. They wrote him off to dead. That was their plan for dealing with a nuisance in society. So you think about our culture, Maybe it's not people that are demon-possessed necessarily, but who are people in our society that we're encountering that are a nuisance to us? Who are people that are scary to us? Who are people that we feel unsafe that we're with or that we're around and we don't want our kids near or something like that? And you could probably put in your mind maybe the person that's a drug addict, maybe the prostitute you might put in there. You might put the person that is just emotionally over needy you know what I mean when I say that it's like they're just a drain on you uh, you might the person that is lascivious and just out there with their sin and you know you're sort of like I don't want to see that kind of thing and I certainly don't want my kids to see it or whatever so you think about maybe that population or folks that might fit into that population and how do you as the representative of Christ and how do we as a church how do we deal with those people do we just cast them off and say, you know what, we want to be a nice suburban church. We want it to be clean here, we want it to be nice here, we want everybody to be happy here. And we smile at one another, and we don't want the riffraff. Keep the riffraff out of here. Or are we, a, are we basically a hospital? And we understand that, you know it's going to get messy. I remember something that Scott Taransky taught me, the fellow who used to serve as the pastor here. He taught me that ministry is messy. You know what I mean? If you think it's going to be clean, you think it's going to be nice, you think there's going to be times where you don't get hurt as you're trying to serve another person and they turn around and they say something about you or they cut you or whatever it may be, ministry's messy. And we just know that and we understand that because we know that God changes people and God does a work in people's lives. And if we're not willing to go to them and instead we just cast them off, then we miss the opportunity to help people come to an understanding of who Christ is and how he can change their life. That's what these people did. So Jesus had to go to that, this guy, goes all the way across the river, or the sea, almost kills his disciples in the process, at least that's how they looked at it. Uh, And then he gets there and they encounter this guy. It says in verse 28, very thirsty. When he saw Jesus, the man cried out, and he fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, it, it seems pretty clear, especially as you read those other two passages. And I would encourage you, take a look at Matthew 8 and Mark chapter 5. As you look in there, this is the demons that are crying out to, to Jesus here. Have you come to torment us? They know who Jesus is. You know, so the person says, so Well, know Jesus is God? Does not necessarily have a saving relationship with Jesus. The scripture says, even the demons know that reality, and they tremble over that truth. And so here they know who Jesus is. They think he's coming for this particular purpose. They beg, do not torment me, and so on. Notice verse 29, Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break those bonds and be driven off into the desert. And now Jesus begins a conversation, and he says, What is your name? Now, question is he speaking here to the demon or demons or is he speaking to the man himself here i think he's speaking to the man and that's the perspective i'm going to go with i'm sure an argument can be made otherwise here but jesus says what is your name and now it i don't think the kid the guy was named legion as a kid you know his name is probably bob or something like that but it seems that the demons. It might not be Bob. It might not be, but the. It seems the demons speak forth. They take over. They're the ones that say, uh, Legion, or, perhaps Legion is what he's now called. You know, maybe this is what the town has begun to call this guy. That's the guy with many de- demons, and so you know, what's your name? And now he has picked up that name for himself. Ah, they just call me Legion. Who knows? Uh, specifically, what is going on here? But the man, or, or it comes out of the man's mouth, legion. But the other verse doesn't
1: say legion for we are
0: many? It does in Mark, yes. yeah, yeah. So that would seem to indicate. Yeah, right, well, I, what I was wondering about that, though, is does the guy say my name is legion and then the demons sign me, because we're many. Oh, okay. Or You know, I don't know, I, I'm not sure. Uh, nor do I think they speak in that high tone. <laughs> I think they're very scary, <laughs> demons. <laughs> But is this how the man came to see himself as what everyone else had known him to be? So was he just a hopeless case? Was he just a man that was filled with thousands of demons in his own mind and just kind of go with, this is my life, this is who I am. No hope necessarily of being healed, no hope of being set free, Um, things to consider. Now, it continues, and it says, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. That's sort of the ultimate end place of demons. We read about that in the book of Revelation, and it seems they're aware of it. Verse 32, Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Notice, the demons begged Jesus. So sometimes we think of Jesus and like the devil as sort of like, Jesus on the left shoulder, and the devil's on the right shoulder, and, and this kind of they're balanced out here. Um, the devil, by the way, is a demon himself. He's like the head of the demons, if you want to think of it that way. Um, but he's nonetheless in that category. Jesus is altogether different. Jesus is the authority. Jesus is God, and the demons are created beings under that. And so there's not a, an idea of you know Jesus is going to go wrestle it out with them and and hopefully win this here. So they're begging Jesus, please don't do this, and and so on. Now, I will throw this out because I know some of us have been to Israel and we're familiar with uh, the land over there and things like that. When you go to this area of the Gadarenes and so on, today the Sea of Galilee is much more shallow than it was in that day. As a matter of fact, than it goes in cycles and so on. And just 10, 15 years ago, the Sea of Galilee was a lot higher than it is today. Plus, they're using a lot of the water from the Sea of Galilee to pump and provide for both. The nation of Jordan as well as the nation of Israel for drinking water and stuff like that. So it's a lot more shallow than it had been previously. So today you go there and they tell you this is the place and those would be the tombs. There's like caves that are built into the walls and all that. Uh, I mean the um, the mountain and so on. And they'll say this is the place, the demons, and you think and you're like the pigs ran two miles to get (laughs) down to the water. You know what I mean? Like why didn't they stop or whatever. But as the water level, it's not that far by the way. It's just it's a long way. Um, but as the water level was higher, it is a cliffy area. They ran off these cliffs, it says here, the, the large herd of pigs they were feeding there. I, did, I, I uh, gave you the punchline before we get there, verse 33. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Okay. So I remember Linda Simpson telling a story that when she was in college, Uh, She had a professor in, like, an animal rights class. Linda loves her animals and so on. Mm -hmm. And the professor in this class talked about how horrible of a person Jesus was because he killed all these pigs or whatever it may be. And Linda got so angry. Don't you talk about my Jesus, she said, you know, whatever. And so, anyhow, I don't think Jesus is anti-animal here. Um, It is what it is. Now, that's not the point of the story. So let's move on. The point of the story is this guy. So here was this man that was bound with chains, breaks the chains, naked guy, running around, scary, doesn't even know his own name, living amongst the tombs and so on. And Jesus now speaks to him. He's healed. He's set free from these demons. Now notice verse 34. When the herdsmen, the guys with the pigs, saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. Now, uh, I don't think I said this, on that portion or that side of the Sea of Galilee, that was primarily Gentile land that was over there. Right? So that, uh, Jews and pigs is not something they normally interact with and so on. Uh, so the herdsmen now, they're mad. You just killed my pigs or whatever. What's going on? That's one thing they're probably upset about. But they're probably also freaked out about that crazy guy that you know lives out there you won't believe what happened to him. So they run into town, they tell everybody, then verse 35, then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, the guy never sat, he ran around and did all sorts of things, clothed, he was never clothed, and he was in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, I think this is powerful because here is a life radically changed, all right? Now most of our lives, yeah, I used to, you know, cut people off in traffic, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Jesus changed me, you know what I mean? <laughs> most of our lives weren't this crazy, but here's a guy that was way out there and now his life is radically different. And what does that do to the society? It causes them to take notice. And they want to observe. Now, it goes on in there specifically and it says at the end of verse 35, and they were afraid. Now, they're no longer afraid of this guy, but they're afraid of the guy that came and healed the guy that they couldn't do anything else with but lock up and throw amongst the tombs. And so they may not necessarily know all about who this Jesus is. What we see is, when Jesus goes back to the other side, to the Jewish side of the Galilee, there's a gazillion people waiting for him there. When he comes to this side of the Galilee, it's just one crazy guy, one demon guy that is waiting for him. So they don't necessarily know who this Jesus is, but he just did something that the whole town couldn't do. Brought this guy under control somehow here. All right. Verse 36 and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus, asked because they're afraid of him, you know, but they asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. And so Jesus got into the boat and he returned. I'd encourage you a couple of things as far as people coming out to see the radical transformation of his life. Your life, it's cliche, but it's the only Bible people are going to read. You know, you've maybe heard that expression here. Mm-hmm. Um, Live your life. Sometimes as Christians, you know, I don't know what to say or or this or that. Or sometimes we kind of have church talk and then we have like work talk or or people talk or whatever. And I don't don't think you need to be one of those people that throws Jesus into every other sentence or something like that when you're at work and you're talking about computers Mm -hmm. or something. But be who you're going to be. You don't have to change or let people see what God is doing in your life. And when they ask you, what's Peter say? I think it's uh, 1 Peter 3.15 perhaps. It says, Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. With gentleness and respect, I believe it says. Something like that. Live your life. Be honest about who you are. Let people see the change that is going on. When the opportunity comes, tell them what's going on in your life there. Just be open and honest about it. Alright, Well, that, so that's one side here. People are seeing what God is doing in your life and they're drawn to that. Now, Verse 37, Jesus got into the boat. They asked him to leave, so he does. Jesus got into the boat, and he returned. So did you notice, remember how I started this? The trouble on the sea. They thought they were going to die. They get out. They get harassed by this guy. 15,000 people come to the Lord. It was worth it, wasn't it? So when would it not be worth it? If, like, twenty. Making all that hassle to go over there. You know, so you go all the way over there, 25 people get saved. Okay, we spent a lot of time, a lot of money on this endeavor here, you know, and so on. But at least 25 people got saved. What if it was just five people? I think of a lot and all that whole story. You know, but say who what? Five's okay? Okay. So one's okay? Really? (laughs) <laughs> alright, I guarantee you, I have a trustees meeting here. And I sit with and on Sunday I have a trustees meeting with the, the people that run the church. And I'm gonna sit down with them and they're gonna say, Alright, we spent how much money on such and such an outreach? Uh, that costs ten thousand dollars. I'm just making up numbers. That costs ten thousand dollars. In somebody's mind, I guarantee you, they're gonna think, alright, well what do we get for that? Did anybody come to the Lord? Are they still with the Lord? Are they attending our church and you know serving and all that? It's going to come into people's minds.
1: I know what you said.
0: What can I say? Because I need to know.
1: You can say <laughs> that you could tell the story of how I, how you whispered in my ear over 15 years ago, and now.
0: Yes. I know.
1: Mm-hmm. You can say you're being obedient. Amen. It's not your Amen. job to save you.
0: Ah, even better. That's Thanks. a good so one, too. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: There you go. You guys agree. What, sir? You
1: can
0: quote Scott Davis. To him, Who's that? Who said to me, oh, okay. it's not about no That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, so we all agree. <laughs> you know, it's funny, as I'm looking out and I'm seeing Katie here. Uh, did we, Yeah. We did the Harvest Crusade. And we decided we were gonna do it outside here. We got a big movie screen, it was freezing. It was cold and misty outside and all this sort of stuff. Um, Did the barbecue and we did all sorts of stuff. And honestly, the group of us that were kind of really spearheading it, uh, it was a little disappointing. You know what I mean? Like we wanted 35,000 people from Ewing to come. You know, For whatever reason, they all didn't show up here. But Katie Green, who did show up
1: here?
0: Didn't your grandpa make a decision that evening? To come to the Lord. All of that for your grandpa, absolutely. So, anyhow, that's I'm glad that we see that's the way that Jesus operates. That uh, now he kind of knows the end from the beginning, you know. So, kind of he does, and so he knew that I got to get over it. I got to tell that guy about the Lord here. Um, We don't necessarily know that, but we do pray. We seek the Lord's direction. We feel He's leading in a particular direction. We don't judge success. Or failure. Now, we certainly look at things, and so we spend some time, all right, could we have done a better job of promoting and, and things like that? We, we want to always, you know, get better and so on, but we don't judge success and failure based on numbers here. Here's one guy, Jesus goes all this way over to see this guy come to him, and the man does, and, and I just think that's great. All right, good question for us then is how far are we willing to go to see a person come to faith? Now, verse 38 It says, the man from whom the demons had gone, he begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away. What? Doesn't that seem crazy? I want to give my life to you. I want to be one of these disciple guys. I want to get in the boat. I want to go with you. Now certainly the guy is probably thinking something to the effect of, I don't like those people. They were mean to me. They put chains on me. They made me live amongst dead people and rats that Mark told me lived there. All sorts of stuff. I don't want to go back to them. I just want to go with you. i got nothing else to go back to anyway, nothing to lose. I want to be with you. And Jesus says, to them, no, you can't come. Now, it seems a little peculiar here. You would think if Jesus is building a ministry, he would take anybody to come with him here. But I think Jesus does a very strategic thing. One is the guy is, prob- the guy is likely a Gentile. Jesus' ministry is primarily amongst the Jews here, but the guy is probably a Gentile. But secondly, notice what he says in verse 39. He says to him, Return to your home, that means your town, and declare how much God has done for you. This is the church's first missionary that we see. A guy sent forth to go tell. So Jim, just a moment ago you told Lindsay... Uh, and you're going to get people, or something like that, or I forget exactly where, something about, you're going to influence people, reach people, is a general idea. This guy is sent back to his town. Now, the area that he is from, it says that he is from the area of Gadara, um, a little bit later, maybe right? Yeah, where is that at? Is that in this passage or a different passage? Okay, so in one of the other passages, the area that he uh, is in, certainly that he's in Gadara, but it says the Decapolis. Now you can see it in the words there. Uh, the Decapolis was an area made up of, initially, of ten cities or ten little towns of sorts. Um, it, the number swelled to as much as 18 at one point, but it was still called the Decapolis. And they were a collection of Gentile towns, western side of the Sea of Galilee, with the exception of one Roman town uh, that's, that was called Skyopolis. Do you remember Skyopolis? Yeah. You guys remember that? Yeah. bet oh, okay. Yeah, that was a Jewish name for it. Uh, beautiful. That was way over in the middle of, of uh, England, but, or not England, um, of Israel. But that was still considered part of the Decapolis. So that area was a, like a, a bunch of towns kind of linked with one another, um, trade, commerce, and so on. Uh, and that's where he's told to go back to. Okay, So just kind of keep that in mind here. Um, Jesus said, No, you can't come with me. You're going to stay. Here, you're going to go back and tell people uh, how much the Lord has done for you. Uh, and how does the man respond? Verse 39, to the second portion of it, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Rather than saying, oh yeah, well forget it. You don't want me, I don't want you. You know, you're lucky to have me. And I offered that and forget it. You know, God didn't give me the things I wanted, so I'm not going to serve him until he does. The man said, all right, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And he went and he told people what God had done in his life. There was no way of hiding it. He was a guy that had been changed here. This is, Mark, this is the passage. This is what it says in Mark 5. It says, And the man went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now, Matthew... Says this about the Decapolis, same word there, different passage. It's later on, you know, down the line, but this is what it says in the book of Matthew. It says, Large crowds follow Jesus from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea. Large crowds from the Decapolis now were followers of Jesus. You have to ask the question, how did they hear about Jesus? Probably this guy or somebody who heard it from this guy. Isn't that awesome? So here's a guy whose life has been changed. Jesus rearranged his plans a little bit here. The guy wanted to be an apostle. Jesus, you can't be an apostle. But instead, i got a different job for you. You could be a missionary. And so the man obeyed. He went forth. He did what he was told to do. And notice what he did. He proclaimed throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. That's what you and I are called to do. We're called to proclaim when we go to a school to substitute. We're called to proclaim when we go to our job to find a job for you're a headhunter, whatever you do. I don't know what you do. But we're called to proclaim it there. We're called to proclaim as we're typing away and people stop by and bother us and ask us. We're called to, in every area of our life, we're called to just simply let people know what God has done in our lives. And that's what this man does. And it seems, if you put all the pieces together, that he was a very effective missionary and that many chose to follow Christ as a result. Of his testimony and his life. Isn't that exciting? So a man is changed. Now, there's another story here. This is found, uh, it, it actually is two stories sort of interwoven with one another. So two key uh, players here. One is a woman, the other is uh, a man who has a daughter. So let's take a look at it, starting in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. Notice the difference there. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had had an only daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had, had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus, touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? You know, let me read. Can I say that a yeah, different we'll that. way? Because that sounded kind of mean. Uh, so, yeah, who was it that touched me? No, I'll try that. <laughs> now, when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out for me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden she came trembling and falling down before him she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed and he said to her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace Let's stop there all right so we've already we've been introduced the first 3 4 verses to this man this ruler of the synagogue a guy by the name of Jairus we're going to come back to him he has a sick son daughter I should say uh, and Jesus is going to that man's house because he's going to take a look at this little girl who's sick here. On the way there, he encounters this other part of the story. So we're going to take some time. We're going to look at it, but it's interesting. How old's the little girl? Twelve. She's 12. She, this lady's had an issue of blood for 12 years. So I have a little girl. I really like my little girl. I saw you posted some pictures of your little girl. She's bigger now. She's like 20 now, I think she is, but uh, she's yeah, got she out there. Think so. You know, but I, you know, 12 years with your little girl is awesome, you know, and they, they're growing and all the things that go on with that. So wonderful times, good times, no doubt, that are now progressing toward um, sickness and doubt and wonder, is my daughter going to make it, and so on. At the same time, you have this woman of 12 years of misery, but you know what, it's just a little problem, no big deal. It'll get taken mm-hmm. care of. I'll just go to a doctor and then I'll go to another one, and I'll go to another one, and i spend all my money. and, And what is developing for her is an increasing sense of helplessness and despair, and then ultimately, I think, a hopelessness that develops. And then one day, that guy, I heard about that guy, and that guy can heal. And I think, in her mind, this is her very last chance. If I can't get to that guy, and he can't do something, then I'll never be made well. And so she's willing to go against some cultural norms of the society. Women didn't just go up and touch men. Um, In addition, women didn't go up and touch spiritual men or the religious leader, the rabbi type of guy, which Jesus would be. And also she was considered an unclean woman because of this issue of blood that was uh, the dictates of the law. And so here is this woman that is spiritually unclean and physically unclean who's going to go and touch anybody, let alone this religious leader here. But again, as we said uh, before, as I said before, this was her last effort of desperation. If I don't do it, then nothing. So she goes and she gets close enough in the crowd, and I I sort of wonder how the crowd doesn't notice her. Is is there such a stir that Jesus is here, that no one's paying attention necessarily? Is this lady from so far out of town that... (coughs) Um, they don't necessarily know who she is, I don't know necessarily, but she gets close enough here to him, she touches Jesus uh, on sort of the fringe of his garment here, and then again, as I said earlier, and I think I said it wrong, uh, who touched me? You know, it all depends on how we read things. You know, and remember in the book of Genesis where Adam sins and God, you know, enters onto the scene and, and Adam goes and he hides and, and God says, you know, Adam, where are you? And, and You could debate that. You could try to make a determination. What was the tone of God's voice? And a lot of people think, you know, like like Dad comes home and there's a mess or something or something's broken. Where are you? Get in there, you know, kind of thing. Or was it more of a soft, oh my goodness, what has happened? You know, our relationship has been broken, kind of, where are you? Kind of thing. And I think here, that's the same thing. I don't think Jesus is mad at her. When he, he says this, so I think he says it in a way, um, but why does he even ask the question? Because mm-hmm. he knows who did. you know we all know that. So the same thing that we see again and again in the scripture, God asks the question because he wants the person to articulate. and so here now, you know who touched me?" and I read one commentator and he, he probably said it like, "Who touched me?" And he's looking right at this lady, you know, and she's sort of like, you know, doing one of these kind of thing, hoping he'll go on to somebody else. But eventually she recognizes that she's busted. But there's a pause there because Peter says, who touched you? You know, and it, and it even says, I think, you know, that when all denied it, so there was a little bit of time in between. Everyone's like, I, well, I, I might have bumped shoulders, I'm sorry. you know." And, no, nobody touched you, kind of like that. And then Peter... He kind of steps in, nobody did. Lord, there's a million people around you. That's what happened here. And Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me. You know, Somebody touched me with faith, if you will, wanting to be healed, and they were healed. And again, I think now he's put his eyes on this lady. And he said, someone touched me. And she realizes now she's in trouble. Notice. But you don't um, think he
1: didn't
0: know ahead of time? No, no, I think he knew. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely so. Because I
1: mean, otherwise it sounds like you can speak up behind God and get
0: something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I definitely and think he was aware. To, like, <coughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Yeah. Well, so, in mind that, uh, that there's a footnote that says that he, he knew who would de- who had touched her, but he wanted her to step forward and identify herself yeah. and yeah. and make, and it says that uh, it was by faith that that healed her not by, by touching his clothes. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because I think there's two issues here, right? One is the physical brokenness, right, that was healed. But he also took time to heal her heart by calling her daughter. Mm You know, so. Sweet. That's a good one. So, there was two things being healed here. One was physically. (laughs) The other was, you know. So, anyhow, um... He knows. She says, she comes along and she says, uh, where is it here, um, falling down in the presence uh, of all the people, she explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, your faith has healed you. And and that it raises a question, because we do hear about it um, within Christianity, the church, if you want to call it that, um, about the role that faith plays in healing a person. Certainly, faith plays a role in healing. And so we see that. But some people take that to the place of the amount of our faith, and if we don't have enough faith, I, and I, I've said this before, I heard one guy get up and say that Johnny Erickson taught it, perhaps one of the most remarkable people in the last 50 years within Christianity. Uh, She's a woman, young girl, she was uh, diving into a lake, she broke her neck. Uh, And she's been a quadriplegic for 50 or so more years now. Uh, And she's been a tremendous witness to who Christ is, she teaches the Word of God, Uh, she knows Him well, she speaks into people's lives on suffering and things like that. And I heard a guy get up and say, If Johnny just had more faith, she would get out of that chair and walk. And it's like, come here, buddy. I want to talk to you. You know what I mean? It's like, don't say that. You know, you don't know what you're talking about to to make a statement like that. We see in, in Scripture there are times where the person himself or herself, but himself is the example I'm thinking of, didn't really have the faith, but it was the faith of his friends to bring him to Jesus that the guy got healed and stuff like that. The key is, we don't have faith in faith. Faith in faith doesn't heal us. And what I mean by that is, well, I have enough faith, I've got so much faith. You know, that's faith in faith. We put our faith in Christ, and we come to Christ. And the scripture says, you know, if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, uh, just think of any, like a a, um, sesame seed on your bagel, that small of a seed. If we have that amount of uh, faith, that's enough, because it's not faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. And so this woman had that sort of faith that if she could make her way to Jesus, that she could be healed. And notice Jesus even comments on that. He says, Daughter, and Jay made that good point, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He wasn't mad at her for touching him. Now, again, though, this is a busy day. He spent the night, you know, they they spent the night rowing across the sea. Then they get out there. Then they get chased out of town. Uh, by the entire city, telling them to please, quote-unquote, like uh, guys with bats or whatever, please leave or whatever. You All right, we'll leave. And so they leave. Then they get over there, and there's a million people over there. Are we ever going to get a break? A- and I think Jesus is modeling here for the disciples. This is what life's going to be like, ministry's going to be like. You'll get a break in heaven. You know, oh, I have to have a day off or whatever. Yeah, I know we do from time to time need to have that day off. But ultimately, when ministry opportunities come, We take them and we serve the Lord, right? We don't don't say, sorry, today's Saturday, I'm off duty, you know what I mean? And we're always ministering, we're always serving and and Jesus is just responding so he goes with Jairus, then this woman interrupts and he takes care of her. Now, let's put ourselves in the shoes of, sandals here, of Jairus, right? We're really going to take a break (laughs) to talk to this lady here? Who cares who touched you? All right, good. Faith healer. Let's go. My daughter is sick here. Right? So, you know, here he is. He has to kind of go through this whole process as well. And he's going to be learning some things about patience and, and so on here. Now, verse 49. Now, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So you can imagine the scene here. Jesus, maybe next to him, is Jairus. There's this girl, I, I picture the woman kind of down on her knees because it seemed to me, and she came like groveling, I'm so sorry I touched you, I, I, you know, I just needed to be healed or whatever. And uh, There's all sorts of people around there, there's probably laughter and joy and all kinds of stuff. And then a messenger guy, if you will, starts coming up and says something loud enough that Jesus can hear it, but he says, don't, don't trouble the teacher anymore, I'm sorry your daughter died. Now, Jesus you can see it here. Uh, Jesus, on hearing this, answered him. Now, the guy didn't ask a question. But in his heart, he's probably thinking, why? you right? That's the first thing, I think, that would come to all of our hearts. You know, why? And then we throw in the other ones. Why did she die? Why did she get sick? Should I have come? Why didn't I come earlier? Why didn't... uh, Why did this lady have to get in the way here? You know, all these sorts of things. And so Jesus answers him to all these questions, perhaps, that are in there. And he says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Oh, my goodness. So, the man had gone from great joy to increasing desperation. His daughter was getting sick. Remember, great joy was a 12-year-old girl growing up and everything wonderful. Increasingly getting sick, that's desperation. To a sense of hopelessness, my daughter is dying, i got to do something, go to Jesus, and then finally a complete hopelessness, she's dead. And and now, I mean, it's over, game's over, right? You just go home, You, you deal with it, she's dead. Now the guy says trouble the teacher no more, but Jesus is now going to demonstrate that he's more than a teacher, and he's going to demonstrate to the guy that he's even more than a healer, and that's pretty significant to be a healer, certainly but he's going to demonstrate to the guy that he's a dead raiser. This is significant stuff, and Jesus is going to teach this guy. So he says to him, you know, just keep believing, keep trusting. You trusted that I could, you know, the the whole community, here trusted I could be a nice teacher. You trusted that I could heal. Keep trusting that I can raise the dead. You're going to see something. All right, now obviously I'm putting some words into the story here, but that's what's going on essentially here Another point that I wanted to make about Jairus, most synagogue rulers weren't too fond of Jesus. Jesus sort of bucked the system and he didn't get in line and kind of fill in line like everybody else and, you know, sure you can be a rabbi dude, just go to school and follow the procedures here. Don't just get to rise up and have a crowd like you do. And yet the man had gotten so so to the point that he had to do anything, and that was to go to Jesus here. I, I wonder. I don't know. Maybe he most, liked Jesus. Who knows? Were most of these synagogue rulers Pharisees? Um, I don't know that.
1: He might not even have been a rabbi, though.
0: Right? Didn't have to be. Right. You, you want to tell him?
1: The ruler could have, could have been not a rabbi. He, has, he kind of manages the place.
0: Yeah, and, and oftentimes it was like a part of their house or an addition to the side of their house or something. Um, but anyway...
1: Like,
0: um, take
1: the grass? Take care well, he's the host, take care. He's the host take care. of the synagogue. Yeah,
0: oftentimes the synagogue may be met in that person's home or like alongside of their home or something like that. Okay. So, Alright. Okay. Alright, so, anyway, that was an aside. He says, don't fear, keep believing. Verse 51, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, as well as the father, the mother, and the mother of the child. So most of us know the name Peter, John, and James. They were two brothers that were also apostles. Um, those three guys, you do see that they sort of formed a very close relationship with Jesus. It's not uncommon. Jesus, you know, of the twelve, and then he'll kind of pull aside with those three guys. So for whatever reason, he takes those three guys in to this room. In there also is the mom and the dad and the child, the girl. And it says, And all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus says, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And then they laughed at him. Now, how do you go from weeping to laughing? That's not easy to do. Um, Point cultural point you might want to if you were a person of influence, you would actually hire mourners to mourn, to cry, to wail, you know, because I love my daughter and that's why we're all crying here. And so that's probably what this group of people is. right, so here's a group of mourners. They can make it look good, you know, they're professionals or whatever. And they go from mourning to scorn, to laughter, to mockery. And they mock Jesus because, Jesus, what a fool. Where are you from, Nazareth? You're such a dunce, you you Nazareth people, uh, that you think she's actually, she's dead, buddy. No, no, she's just sleeping. All's going to be great. You'll see. And they think he's a goofball for this. So they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, so now he's in the room he calls little child or child arise and her spirit returned and she got up at once i wonder in our lives if there are areas where we are more than willing to go to jesus you know so we have a cold you know hey would you guys pray for me that my cold goes away or something like that sure i'll pray for you and we do that you know or I need a job. Would you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for you uh, that you get a job, all right? I got an amen on that one there. So we pray for something like that. But where does the line stop? Where we're no longer really going to go to the Lord with that. And, as a matter of fact, if somebody suggested it. So I got a call that uh, Frank Brands passed away. Uh, Sharon actually called. It never came into my mind. say, so Sharon, let's pray right now that God raises him never came into my mind. You know, there's sort of a line that we stop at where that's crazy talk. And if Sharon said, I think we should get together the church and pray that God raises him, I wouldn't have done it. I would have hung up, and then I would have laughed at her. Like, is she crazy? She wants to get a church meeting together to pray that he's going to be raised? You, you see what I mean? And so there there perhaps are those areas. And I think all of us in agree with her, death might be one of them. But for some of us, the line gets further and further and further and further where we doubt that Jesus can enter in and do something in that circumstance here. So these people are mocking him, they're laughing at him. Jesus goes in, however, and he knows what he's going to do here. So he says, you'll see. And so he goes in, he says, little girl, or he says, child, arise. And verse 55, her spirit returned. She got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Jesus is very concerned about people eating food in the scriptures. We see that often. I know. but he says, give her something to eat. You know, she had probably been sick. She hadn't been eating and all this stuff. So they do notice the parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Good luck with that. You know what I mean? Like, how am I not going to tell people that my daughter was raised from oh, the they're dead? How are they not going to Exactly. You know, I'm excited about it, so I'm going to tell people. But secondly, when she shows up at school, they're going to ask. You know <laughs> okay, what but, I mean? But he kind
1: of tempered it by saying she's not dead but asleep.
0: Okay, so you're saying... So
1: he knew what he, he knew the parents and John and James and Peter were going to see the real thing. Yes. But everybody else they thinking, oh, yeah, I guess he was right. I guess he's a doctor, too. Perhaps. You know what I'm saying? He, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He, I know what you're because saying. Because
1: the Jews also, didn't they have a belief that you weren't really dead unless you were dead for three days, which is why Lazarus, he waited the fourth day. Yes. And
0: that's when the spirit okay. came along. That's all and good and, points.
1: Yeah. But I agree with your point. Good luck with that.
0: Yeah. Now, why why don't you... If you're trying to build a ministry, that's what we're taught. We just want numbers, right? If you want a lot of people to come follow you, shouldn't you promote this? Shouldn't the whole world know about this? And, ma'am? The
1: same reason he spoke in parables. You know, Tell us why. Because, like, there are specific people who, like, he was speaking to, and, like, he only opened up to the disciples about some things, and sort of the same thing, he's only showing like the truth to these few people. But everybody else gets
0: this like parable kind of right, and we looked at that a few weeks back, the last study, and, and the idea was if you want to go deeper, we can go deeper. But if you just want to remain on the surface, then you're not gonna pick these things up. Right? And and here I think this point is that Jesus didn't want to have a raising of the dead ministry. You know, he does it two, three times we see here in the scripture. But that's not the reason that he came. The reason that he came was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to give his life on our behalf and that we can be saved of our sins. And he knew, I think Jesus knows, that if word gets out of all these miracles, and a lot of times he'll say that, don't tell anybody about this, let's just keep this between you and I, it's because he wants to have the emphasis on the right things here. And that's what the word of God would go forth. Amen? But he told me the
1: first guy to go tell everybody.
0: Which one? Yeah. But what do you think he told them about? What did he go tell tell them to tell them?
1: Well, he told so he was told that he was demon possessed, when Jesus cast out his demons, he healed
0: them. Yeah. I, I think of that as a very population. different healing. No, that's
1: true. So I'm saying there's no hard and fast. True. Most of the times he did he, he did tell people don't tell. But at times, he did tell me what
0: happened. In the story oh, just yeah. before that.
1: Oh. Well,
0: anyhow, I do know that his primary reason for coming was to give his life on our behalf, that people might know him uh, the in that way.
1: Is in verse 50, when he tells the Father, only, only believe and she will be made well.
0: <clears throat> Excuse me. If if he would have, at that time, the Father would have said, no way, if I mean, the father must have had some the faith of a mustard Yeah, was. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right, let's uh, let's pray, Father. We uh, we thank you, Lord. I, I just appreciate tonight, in many ways, these stories just seem to be really fresh for us, as we considered uh, what it must have been like for this demon-possessed man to be. Uh, seated and in his right mind, and Lord, uh, the sense of hopelessness on the part of this—first, this woman uh, with the issue of blood, and then finally this guy hearing that his daughter has actually now died—and uh, Lord, for how you came into the midst of those things, and and how you uh, demonstrated your might and your power in healing and setting people free and uh, raising them back to de- from the dead. So, Lord, uh, we ask you would open our eyes. Father, we pray that we would become a church that ministers like you do. And by that I mean uh, we go out of our way uh, and to great lengths to see another come to a a knowledge of the Savior. And Lord, we ask that your name would be uh, lifted high and glorified uh, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.